G'day community and welcome to another episode of Tradio, the last episode of Tradio for this year. We will try again next season for next trade period to do another series of Tradio and joining me to wrap everything up is Lekdog. How you doing, mate? Fantastic demo and for those who missed out on the live stream, we did go live on the final day. Demo, you, myself, Patch jumped in as well. We covered off all the trades, what they meant, super coach relevancy. Where can people find that video? And if they missed it, and if they missed the video, obviously this will have all the information they need as well. You can find the video at twitch.tv forward slash demo SC. I think you've got about a week to watch it before Twitch sends it into the great beyond. Well, demo, before we get stuck into things, we of course need to thank our sponsors. Once again, we're brought to you by Manscaped. Michael Myers sure is scary, but the last thing you need is to be hairy this Halloween. Luckily, our friends at Manscaped launched their fourth generation performance package to make sure your pumpkins get the ultimate carving experience on this spooky day. Turn your bite-sized treat into a king-sized candy and join the 6 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code JOCK. That's code J-O-C-K. Make the right call this spooky season. It's trick or trim. The performance package 4.0 is amazing value. It'll, it comes with a whole pack of things, including, well, probably the flagship product, the Lawnmower 4.0, which is the shaver that'll shave everything nice and proper. It's got a light. You can use it in the shower. It's got uh, skin safe, advanced skin-safe technology. It's the greatest ball trimmer on the planet, planet Demo. they got the Weed Whacker, which is great for your nose and your ears and wherever else you can put it. I'd recommend limiting it to those two orifices, though, as well as a bunch of other things from shampoo to body cleaner to deodorant. They've got it all. It's an amazing package, and it helps us out when you help them out. So get 20% off plus free shipping with the code JOCK, J-O-C-K, manscaped.com. 20% off plus free shipping with the code JOCK, J-O-C-K, manscaped.com. Say trick or treat to your beautiful new Halloweeny this Manscaped Halloween. So to wrap everything up, we're going to go team by team looking at the ins and the outs and what they may now potentially be needing at the draft. I don't have a list of of draft prospects to be able to tell you who fits that bill. Just might be able to let you know what they need. Um, we'll start with Adelaide. You know, we'll start at the top of the alphabet. They brought in Isaac Rankin and lost Billy Frampton. They've got a pretty well-rounded list, to be honest. Um, they really just need to really give themselves a bit more um, depth in the tools department now that they've lost Billy Frampton. Yeah, I quite like Adelaide's list. I think it's probably better than the results they get. I'll just add a quick note, Demo, because this news is relatively new. They delisted James Rowe, Ben Davis, Brett Turner, the mid-season rookie, but they've said they may look at re-rooking him. So a couple other players have come out of that lineup. Surprised to see James Rowe delisted. Um, yeah, look, Isaac Rankin, good. Billy Frampton, not as good. So if you look at it like that, it was a pretty reasonable trade period from them, Damo. Absolutely. They got 
their main target and uh, they were able to offload Billy Frampton for a pretty no-fuss sort of deal. So he now goes to Collingwood and they get their man in Isaac Rankin and their list is just getting better and better and they'll continue to build. Yeah, and that future third that they got for Billy Frampton will be useful next year because, guess what, Damo? I know Gold Coast would make you think it's not, but draft picks are important. Draft picks are important. Moving on to Brisbane. So Jack Gunston and Josh Dunkley arrived and Tom Berry and Dan McStay departed. Josh Dunkley is an interesting one because the Supercoach Supercoach relevancy for him kind of depends on how they use him. He's obviously going to go into the middle, but how much time he spends in the middle of it is another thing. Yeah, obviously a very deep side, a lot of midfielders in that side. I reckon my opinion is if you're bringing in a Josh Dunkley, you're telling him, it's to play in the midfield and they're going to shove someone else around. We saw Dane Zorko. He's made his way effectively out of that midfield. Maybe Ken Rayner doesn't get the minutes that he's been promised. Maybe, I don't know, maybe Alliance gets pushed out even more. Not 100% sure, Damo, but I'd be reasonably confident picking a Josh Dunkley if he has forward eligibility. If he doesn't, Damo, I'm not 100% sure I'll go with him, but he will be an interesting pod if he's mid only. The deal that brought him up to Brisbane, Brisbane received Josh Dunkley, a future third-round selection and a future third-round selection tied to Melbourne, and they sent down to the Bulldogs uh, a second-round pick, 21, pretty solid pick, a future first-round pick, a future second-round selection, and a future fourth tied to Geelong. So I know the third's going back. It's essentially a first and a second and a half, which which I think's a really good return given the circumstances. And obviously with Dan McStay departing and Jack Gunston coming in, that's a pretty like-for-like swap. Obviously, Gunston isn't uh, reaching his prime, but he's still a pretty good player and probably gives him a little bit more than Dan McStay did. I'd definitely prefer Jack Gunston this year and maybe next year to Dan McStay. Maybe I'll eat my words, but I'm pretty happy with that. And Tom Berry comes out of that side. He was a fringe player. He should get a reasonable crack um, when we talk about him at Gold Coast, but... Overall, you got to say it's it's a good it's a good <laughs> it's a great return for Brisbane, who we know, Damo, who they're going to get in the draft. They're going to get Ashcroft, and they're going to get uh, the name that escapes me right now. The other academy father son they have, and Jasper Fletcher. Thank you, Carlton. They obtained Blake Acres from the Dockers, and Will Setterfield then left to join Essendon. They didn't need to do a lot in this trade period, Carlton. They pretty much had everything they needed, but now they have a true wingman to add to their midfield mix, and that probably pushes a Lockie O'Brien out of their 22, you'd imagine, there, Lechdog? I'm not so sure. It depends what sort of mix they want to go with. They've got Cottrell that they run on the wing. They've got O'Brien. I think O'Brien's probably got the better skills, but it's just whether he plays the game style that uh, Vossi wants. It'll be interesting to watch. They've said that they're going to go the draft. My only note on them is that I think in terms of trading, there'll be some pick trades, Damo. 
they really want to get up into like the top three or four in the draft. But if they can't do that, I reckon they're going to jump back from 10 into sort of, uh, you know, 18, 19 territories. So definitely worth watching the Blues. They'll be active in this ridiculous draft pick only trade period that goes from now until God knows when. Collingwood had a busy trade period. They brought in Tom Mitchell, Dan McStay, Bobby Hill, and Billy Frampton. And then they lost Brody Grundy and Ollie Henry. Tom Mitchell gives their midfield a little bit more grunt. When you spoke about their midfield and when Taylor Adams was out, when Jordan Dugowie was out, when they were missing players, there wasn't really a bona fide midfielder that could come in. Now they've got Tom Mitchell to add to that mix and he's going to give them a little more than what they already had. Dan McStay gives them another target up forward alongside Brody Majacek, who's probably not key position size either, but both of them should work well in tandem. Uh, Bobby Hill will create headaches for people running around with Jack Ginevan, Bo McCreary, Jamie Elliott and the like. And Billy Frampton gives them a bit more key defensive depth and uh, also break glass in case of emergency ruck depth as well. It's an interesting period by them. I think they definitely, in terms of talent, they sent out a more talented player than ones they bought in. But the guys they bought, like Tom Mitchell, he's going to come in underpriced next year. He's going to tempt a lot. He'll tempt me. I still don't really understand why Collingwood would target him, but he'll tempt me. Uh, he's an absolute beast. The question for me, Damo, is you bring in a Tom Mitchell, a Lily Frampton, a Daniel McStay, and a Bobby Hill, and you're telling them all probably that they're starting 22 players. It's who's going to come out of this side? Because Grundy comes out, he missed most of this year, and Ollie Henry comes out and he's replaced Mike Stay. So there's three spots that are going to be really hard, hard fought for. Really interesting one to watch, and I just want to cover off the 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 trade that bought Tom Mitchell there on the final day. Collingwood received Tom Mitchell and a second round pick, 25. Uh, they sent out Ollie Henry, so effectively Ollie Henry for 25, and they sent out a couple of you know picks. Hawthorne received Cooper Stevens, 41 and 50. So they spent all the trade period demo saying they weren't going to accept 25 for Ollie Henry, and they ended up doing just that. <laughs> If you don't posture, then you don't get the best deal. So I guess they did get they didn't get more than what they were hoping, but they held out long they held out long long enough that uh that clubs were looking around and and really made Geelong look for a better potential transaction in that. But I also get the feeling that Geelong weren't going to be too upset if that trade didn't go down. Mm, it, yeah, it's a good point. I really wish it didn't. I really wanted to see what was going to happen to Ollie Henry if he went to the, the PSD or the Open Draft, but it was not to be, as always, an empty threat demo. Let's talk Essendon. Essendon brought in Will Setterfield and Sam Wiedemann, and they lost Aaron Francis. So they brought in a big-bodied midfielder that their midfield really, really needed and a key position player to play alongside Peter Wright up forward. So they've bolstered their list. Um, I don't know exactly what they will do to the way that they play because they were doing pretty well without them, but probably just gives them another person to kick to in the forward line and a bigger-bodied midfield to 
protect your Zach Merritts and your Darcy Parishes who aren't very big. Yeah, I think it was important for them to get a semi-established forward target. They did a bit of swapping around with a few different clubs. And on that final day, they sent Aaron Francis out and a third round pick, 42 currently. They bought back a pick 37 and a future fourth. We know the future fourth is now considered the paperwork. Uh, and Sam Wiedemann trade. They got Sam Wiedemann, pick 54 and pick 72. They sent out a second round pick for 37. I think that's a reasonable gamble. Sam Wiedemann, uh, he'll come in, he'll play games. If he kicks, what, I don't know, 25 goals? I'm not super behind Sam Wiedemann, but I think he's got talent in him somewhere. If he kicks 25 goals, that's a win. I don't think any of this is super coach relevant, but, and I think they're probably pretty bad. Uh, next year again, Will Setterfield's interesting though, Damo. Is there, is, he's going to tempt a few in draft leagues. For the draft format, he might be worth a look at because he has the chance that he could average in the mid-90s, which you wouldn't pick in Classic. But, I mean, if he's cheap enough in Classic, you might pick him up as a stepping stone. But you kind of want to be sure of his scoring and you don't want to be too upset if you have to keep him for the whole year. And he's someone that might tempt people depending on his price. But... um. Yeah, I think he's mostly good for the draft format. Yeah, um, to all the people out there listening, he he could score well if he's playing that pure inside mid. Unfortunately, his downfall at the Blues probably was ended up being his flexibility. They used him in a bunch of different roles. I'm steering clear, but I'm in going to cheer him on. Well, no, I'm not. I'm going to boo the shit out of him. Let's move on, Demo. The Dockers were arguably one of the most busy teams in the trade period. So Josh Corbett arrived, Luke Jackson arrived, and Jager O'Meara arrived. Blake Akers, Rory Lobb, Griffin Logue, Lloyd Meek, and Darcy Tucker all left. So they lost quite a bit of depth into in their list, and they'll be moving towards the draft to try and replenish some of that. But um, ultimately... They got in what they needed to and replaced what they needed to. So on the final day, Damo, they did two trades. One saw uh, the Western Bulldogs receiving Rory Lobb and Fremantle got a second round pick, pick 30, and a future second round pick. And I think getting two second round picks for Rory Lobb is an awesome return, a really, really good piece of business. They held firm, and to get two two second round picks is, uh, is really good value for him, uh, particularly given his age and you know, his last year of the contract, blah, 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 blah. And then they did a Jaeger-Amira trade where they received Jaeger-Amira in a future fourth and sent out Lloyd Meek and a future second tied to Western Bulls. I cannot get my head around this one, Damo. I cannot get my head around it. I would personally, and I understand why Lloyd didn't want to be on the list, but I would much rather Lloyd Meek on my list at this point than Jaeger-Amira. I can see the reasoning for picking him up. Um, the, they needed a mature body in that midfield after the departure of David Mundy. And I think the biggest thing that enticed them was that Hawthorne are paying basically Jager's entire contract for 2023, meaning he's essentially a free player on on their list that they don't have to worry about paying until 2024. And that's when his deal expires and a new one has to be signed. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they've now pretty thin in the in the 
ruckman department. They're now pretty thin in key position department. So they've really got to look at that in the draft. And I don't know if this draft is actually going to be that strong. So they will probably have to look for a mature age or mature bodied sort of prospect to booster their list um, in those positions. It's an interesting on demo. You talked about the salary here. Here's where I don't necessarily want to see how much each player's on, but I think we should definitely be reporting what percentage of a contract is being paid by a club. Because it would explain these trades a lot more. Because I think Lloyd Meek for Jaeger Amira straight up is probably a fair a fair trade or close to a fair trade. To send a future seconds, as you pointed out, says that Hawthorne are probably paying most of that salary. I think that should be really transparent and clear. And on that point, Demo, the AFL have said they're going to look at salary dumping, i.e. if you take a salary dump, you're not going to be able to flatten the deal out. Isn't that crazy how much sense that makes? Well, we'll get to Geelong in a moment, but that makes me wonder, would Geelong have been interested in Jack Bowes if they couldn't flatten out the, that deal? No chance. They wouldn't have been able to absorb it. I don't want to hear anything about Joel Selwood only being on $100,000 in his final year. That's nonsense. Even if it's true, everyone else is getting paid. There's no way they would have taken that deal. I'm telling you right now, there's no way they would have taken that deal. And it would have been like a St. Kilda or an Essendon or a team that actually needed the pick and needed the body that would have got it. And I think we'll see it balance out. If they can tweak that rule, I think we'll see it balance out. Uh, Josh Corbett and Jagger O'Meara probably aren't super coach relevant. Luke Jackson, it all depends on his price and what we see in the preseason because there was talk that he could potentially get a Mark Blitzarv's role. There's talk that he could potentially line up center half forward and there's talks that he could be the number one ruck and Sean Darcy's going to be the center half forward. So who knows what happens there. So he might present some value, especially if he is dual position ruck forward. Well, I, and I think I think the important thing here, Damo, is not necessarily the supercoach relevance of the players they've brought in, but the supercoach relevance of the players that are going to get opportunities now. Blake Akers comes out, Griffin Logue comes out, Tucker, I don't know how regular he was playing, but he comes out of the side. Lob comes out. Lloyd Meek, we know, was only ever sort of there as backup. But I'm excited for like a Neil Erasmus or a, I don't know, give me some, give me some cheapies that we might be able to look at next year, Damo. I think I don't think there's going to be many cheap players that we can pick up, unfortunately. But there's always someone that comes out of the woodwork in the preseason for the Dockers that comes out of nowhere. Like last year, it was Nathan O'Driscoll. The year before that, it was uh, it, it was Heath Chapman. So, like, we don't see these players in the 22 because we haven't seen them, but they come out of the woodwork and create great options for us in Supercoach. So I'm interested to see who gets elevated into the 22 over the preseason because they've had a good year. So that could be a Neil Erasmus. It could be a Matthew Johnson. It could even be a Sam Sturt who's going to be rookie priced again. So who knows what happens in that space, but I don't know if there's going to be any particularly cheap players at the moment, but I mean, it all depends on the preseason. Watch this space. Let's talk Geelong demo. 
So as you said, AFL said they're going to look at salary dumping. So they got Jack Bowes, Ollie Henry, and Tanner Bruin, and then they traded Cooper Stevens on that final day. Who knows if they would have accepted the Jack Bowes trade if they couldn't smooth out that contract. There's no way they would have accepted it. Uh, on that final day, they did that three-way trade with Hawthorne and Collingwood. They basically traded Cooper Stevens in a second-round pick, 25, for Ollie Henry. Cooper Stevens uh, never really had a proper run at it in that midfield. Goes over to Hawthorne. We'll talk about him when we get to them. But, yeah, Ollie Henry, no super coach relevance for me. Some people will try and talk themselves into Jack Bowes just because players who get traded get interest. But I don't know, Tanner Baroon, Bowes, Henry, or any of these guys going to be tickling our fantasy uh, our fantasy itches? I'm interested to see if Tanner Bruin gets a role with Joel Selwood no longer at the club. I think it's more likely that the team pretty much stays exactly as it was for the grand final, but Max Holmes comes in in Joel Selwood's place, which could potentially give Max Holmes some super coach relevancy, yeah, but I don't think any of these of but I don't think any of these uh players that have been traded in are gonna get an opportunity straight away, but they would have been told that there's opportunities for them. But you say that to everyone to try and get them through the door. Yeah, 100%. Let's jump to Gold Coast because they were relatively active demo. They uh, traded out, as we said before, Isaac Rankin and Josh Corbett, as well as about 1,000 picks to Geelong for free because why not? Bit of fun. Bring in Tom Berry and Ben Long. Both are going to be cheap next year in Supercoach, but Tom Berry... Even if he's not scoring very much, he's going to be surely a 22 walk-up start at a rookie price for Supercoach. He's going to be one of those players that reminds me of... um, Who was the small forward for you guys this year that was rookie priced? Uh, 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 Durden? Corey Durden? Corey Durden, that's right. Reminds me of Corey Durden. Probably going to be someone that we all start. Probably on the bench, but there will be games where he scores about 80 and other games where he scores about 30. Yep. But exciting. And as you said in the write-up on the website, uh, fills that Isaac Rankin hole, or at least attempts to fill that Isaac Rankin hole, which is a very strange-sounding sentence when I said it out loud. (laughs) (laughs) We know about you and filling holes, Lechdog. Yep, yep, yep. Moving on. GWS, unless there's anything else you want to talk about, Gold Coast. No, I think we can move on from there. Yeah, well, they they lost a lot, didn't they? GWS in the end. Uh, coming out of this side, they had a bunch of players. Jacob Hopper, Tim Taranto, Tanner Brewer, and Bobby Hill. They bought in about 10,000 draft picks. The only warm body that came in was... Toby Bedford. We know they ended up moving up to pick one as well in the draft, or sorry, not pick one, pick two, unless they don't bid, in which case I'll be uh, doing some damage to the forums. Uh, anyway, Tony Bed- Toby Bedford comes in, Damo, and similar similar situation to Tom Berry? This is where it gets difficult because according to Footy Wire, he played 16 games, but only eight of them he was activated. So he may only, so his price might be closer to 200000 if the 
the eight games that he was activated are the only ones that counted, which means he's going to be priced an average of about 49 with maybe a 10 or 20% discount. But it all depends on whether they count 16 games or eight games. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because we know that they don't count as games played during the season, but do they factor that into the price? Because as you said, he's listed as averaging 25 points a game, but obviously he averaged probably double that because he played half his games on the bench. So either way, he should be cheap, but if he's around 200k, we just it's a gamble to pick him because you've never seen him really produce anything. I think he'll still be a popular starting um, starting selection, and he might be someone that we have to turn to regardless. Yeah, yeah. As always, we're worried about the forward line next year. Yeah, I uh, just wanted to say, just my final thought on GWS, Damo. I thought they ended up doing really well. I know people, a lot of people were saying they didn't, they got unders for Tim Taranto and Jacob Hopper, but they essentially got, you know, a first and a half for them for each trade, which I, I think is a really good return. They ended up going to the draft now after doing some trades with 1, 15, 18, 19, 31, 57, 61, 79. Like, I, I wouldn't be unhappy with them as a JWS fan. The way I see it is, it's not going to be this simple, but the way I see it is they basically got picks 10 and 20 for both. Yeah, in each. Yeah, team. basically. Yeah, yeah. A first and a and a, a, a middle first and a early set. Yeah, that's yeah one and a half. I like it, demo. Next team is Hawthorne. So Carl Amon arrived as a free agent, and Lloyd Meek and Cooper Stevens arrived in late deals on the final day. Jack Gunston departed for Brisbane. Tom Mitchell departed for Collingwood, and Jago Romero departed for Fremantle. So they've got. Some good players coming through the door, but they are going full tilt on this rebuild. Yeah, I, I saw on Twitter we should be considering this year zero of the rebuild because this is the we're getting rid of players that we don't want to pay because and that are out of our prime, so we can probably lose a few more games. But they didn't bring in any picks, which is the normal go-to, uh, really. So next year, I imagine we're going to see them go heavily at the trade table again. Carl Amon coming into that side now in retrospect is very interesting because he's not, I mean, he's not old. What is he, 26, 27? He's not super young, Damo. No, but they can't be completely void of experience. They don't want to look like a basket case when they run out onto the field. And some people have questions whether them removing all of their experienced players can be seen as draft tampering or tanking. So um, hopefully they have kept enough experience to remain competitive. I think they'll be shit this year. But who knows? <laughs> I um, hope Lloyd, Mo- Lloyd Meek and Cooper Stevens play, though. Cooper Stevens is going to be a very attractive price. Um, and Lloyd Meek, who knows if he gets the number one ruck role ahead of Ned Reeves, but... If he does, he's going to be about 400k to start and he might be well worth putting us um, putting on your field. Yep. I think there's going to be a lot of... For finally, years and years we've been asking for it, I think there's finally going to be some value at Hawthorne for Supercoach. Melbourne had a trade period that... It depends how you look at it, if they did well or not. Um... 
Brody Grundy arrived, Lockie Hunter arrived, and Josh Shackey arrived. Lockie Hunter came out of nowhere. And Toby Bedford left, Jaden Hunt left, Luke Jackson left, and Sam Wiedemann also departed the club. Brady Grundy comes in and replaces Luke Jackson. That's basically a like-for-like. Probably Grundy will ruck more than Gorn, you would imagine, but both of their supercoach relevancy is uh, questionable. Yeah, so the uh, set-and-forget ruck line is officially dead, if it wasn't already, in terms of the Gondi situation. I don't... I Unfortunately, the ruck line is going to be really tough in this year because a lot of the options we were looking at have now moved to clubs where there's another good ruckman. I'm talking Jackson, I'm talking Grundy, I'm talking Gorn. It's going to be really exciting. On that final day, as we said, they got 37 for Wiedemann, uh, sent out a couple of late picks. They sent out a future fourth for Josh Shackey, a.k.a. Paperwork. And, you know, he comes in and just is a depth player that they're taking a punt on him. You're like, he was a number two pick. Maybe he's got something left. And then, yeah, sending out a future third for Lockie Hunter, as you said, sort of came out of nowhere. And I'm very interested to see what they see. I feel like they've got a lot of players like him. They grabbed Luke Dunstan last year. They've got James Harms. They've got, it just feels like there's a lot of players like him in in their team. It might take Melbourne a little while at the beginning of the season to get their mojo, but I think they've refreshed the list now enough that they can have another crack. Oh, they're definitely going chips in. And the upside, assuming Grundy's healthy and that knee or whatever the the injury was, I can't remember the exact injury, doesn't flare up, they've got to... A younger, a younger Max Gorn replacement. So whatever happens with him, if he starts to slow down, they've got they're set for at least another to be competitive for the foreseeable future. And I, I think that's a I like it. I endorse the tactic. I hate it for Supercoach, but um, they go into the draft for picks 13, 37, and ninety. So they're still going to end up with someone half decent. But a very interesting setup, Melbourne. And now I'm not sure. I mean, other than. Clayton Oliver being an absolute lock. Now I'm not sure who else I'm looking at in that lineup. Yeah, Clayton Oliver is probably the only one not going to come out of that centre bounce group. It'll be a mix of Petrarca and Viney and Brayshaw and Harms and maybe even Neil Bullen sends some time in there. Lockie Hunter might even attend a centre bounce or two as well. Who Who knows? But yeah, I think... Clayton Oliver's the only one you can really lock in. Some people may have a look at Stephen May, or maybe we might see a Christian Salem step up. We shall see. Let's jump to North Melbourne, Damo. They bring in Griffin Logue and Darcy Tucker for free because the AFL gave them to them for free. (laughs) Uh, But they got their players. They don't know what's going on. They don't know if they've got a coach. They don't know really uh, what the future holds there. But, hey, they got a lot of picks. They lost about 1,000 players, Damo, or at least it felt like they lost 1,000 players, one being the number one pick from last year, Jason Horn Francis. They go into the draft with 2, 3, 40, 43, 59, 70, and 77. They get a bunch of future stuff as well. How did you see their offseason? They've got a. They've now got a key defender who can release Ben Mackay if they want to. So they 
they had Ben Mackay playing forward in some games for them, but it left them thin down back. They might try that experiment again, especially now they've got Logue to partner up with Core, and they also drafted Callan Dawson in the mid-season draft, so it might give them a little bit more freedom to swing a few players around, and Darcy Tucker just gives them another bigger body in that midfield, but I don't know if he's going to be in their best 22. Yeah, it's it's hard to know. All I know is there will be some rookie selections from their side that we'll look at. They've got picks two and three. There'll be a couple of expensive priced rookies and hopefully a couple of guys that have been out uh, come back. I'm talking like, yeah, uh, what's his name? Is it Will Phillips or Tom Phillips? One of them. Whichever one has been had Galangela Fever for, for a year. Will Phillips and Ben Cunnington will both be pretty cheap for next year. Cunnington is going to be a very tempting pod. He'll be mid-only, awkward price, but geez, he can score. Damo, let's talk Port. Port Adelaide brought in Jason Horn-Francis and also Junior Rioli, um, and then Carl Amon left as a free agent, as we spoke about earlier. I mean, there's not much to talk about here. They brought in Junior Rioli. He'll replace Robbie Gray and uh, forward, and Jason Horn-Francis gives them a little bit of extra something in that midfield, but also probably allows Connor Rosie or Zach Butters to play a full-time mid-roll with him now taking their forward mid-split. It has to be Rosie. It has to be. He was so good last year in the back half of the year when he was in that role that to the point where uh, he, he's heavily in contention for my sort of F1 spot, I'm assuming he maintains forward status. I hope so, because you've just reminded me of that, and now I want him in my forward line. <laughs> Let's move on to Richmond, who get shaken up a little bit, Damo, because they got two jet midfielders to come in and, and play in this engine room. So Jacob Hopper and Tim Taranto come in. Obviously, Shane Edwards has retired, so you'd imagine that Jacob Hopper and Tim Taranto will add into that midfield mix, and Dustin Martin and Shea Bolton will move into playing that Shane Edwards role in a bit of a tandem um, duo, one-two punch kind of thing. Jacob Hopper is going to be about 200k under price because he had an interrupted 2022. Yeah, he's going to be tempting. I need to see it because obviously we've all suspected he's got super coach relevancy for some time. Just haven't actually seen it play out that way. Interesting thing for me, Damo, is that Richmond picks... Have the picks that they have this year, 53, 63, 88. And next year, based on this year's standings, we've got 31, 50, 68, and 86. So they got stuff all at the draft this year and next year demo. So I suspect we'll see a few players pushed out at the end of this year. But they're clearly looking to contend again. They want to go again, and they could very well be at the top of the table next year. Um contending with all the teams that kind of went all all in because there was a clear sort of divide between the teams that were wanting to get all their players out and get draft picks in and then and then the teams that want to get all their draft picks out and players in to, to contend so it's going to be interesting to see how that all works out for those teams that went all in I don't think that Richmond doing this could end up bad, badly though You'd back. The, I'd love it to go badly, but you'd back them in to uh, to settle down and and you know it, the way the rules work, you can do this. You can go all in for a couple of years and 
shove a few players out and then just stock up again if you need to. So I'll back them in, but geez, I'm hoping it goes badly. Speaking of going badly, well, that didn't, this didn't go badly. Well, some things have gone badly here, Damo, at St. Kilda. Uh, but in terms of acquisitions and losing players, very little. So Zane Cordy arrived and Ben Long and Brett Ratton left. Um, with a new coach coming in, whenever that is, is Rowan Marshall still a ruck option? It's, well, we need to see it. I, I imagine yes, because I don't know who else they've got to play in that role, the demo. But it's going to be interesting. Uh, at this, just a quick side note, in the NBA, a lot of the time, or sometimes you've got coaches that make the calls on players. Most of the time you've got GMs, list managers, et cetera. I want to know if the inactivity here was a decision by the list management team or a result of perhaps some instability. I think going to the draft is the right call, but I'm interested if you think that it was intentional, if it was intentional or not. Probably a bit of both. Um, Obviously the coach will sit down with a lot of players and will want them to play for the club, but it's also up to the list manager and the recruiters to work out if they're a right fit for the club. You'd like... Ken Hinckley wouldn't have gone and met with Junior Rioli or Jason Horn Francis if the recruiters didn't think that those players were going to be a good fit for the club. Justin Longmuir wasn't going to have a sit-down with Josh Corbett and Jeremy Sharp if he didn't think those players were going to be a fit for the Dockers. Obviously, Jeremy Sharp didn't end up happening, but like, I don't think... I don't think it gets that far without the recruiters and the head coach having a say... I I do think it's going to be a bit of column A and column B when it comes to whether the list managers decide to step back or if the coach decides to step back. Yeah, it's interesting, and uh, we won't know the answers until the AFL becomes a bit more transparent. Speaking of clubs that didn't do a lot, Sydney didn't do heaps, Damo. Yeah, well, they didn't really need to do a lot, to be honest, and Aaron Francis comes in, gives them a bit of depth in their key defensive stocks, and... They didn't really need to do a lot. They've still got some really good young players on their list. They probably reached a grand final ahead of time, and they're going to get there again in the next few in the next few years when those players mature a bit more. And they're going to be an exciting team for a few years. Yeah, no, they they will be. And yeah, I quite like the acquisition of Aaron Francis. He was put out a bit at Essendon. They played him forward. They played him back. They played him forward. I think his his role is in defence. Not sure he gets a, a real crack real early for Sydney. I think their their depth in their back line is one of the more impressive uh, things, uh, depth charts in the AFL. But, I mean, he's you back it in, right? It was He's essentially free. He has draft equity when he was first drafted, and you know he can perform at the level when he's in the correct position. So... Yeah, great work from them. As you said, they didn't need to do anything. West Coast brought in Jaden Hunt as a free agent and obviously Junior Rioli left in that big, big mega deal between those three other clubs, Port, North and the Giants. And they've got 8, 12, 20 and 26 at the draft. They've got a pretty good draft hand. They brought in some, they brought in some speed off halfback, which 
they were pretty one paced towards the end of the year and that and they were sort of exposed in a lot of games when they came up against teams who had pace so that was a good acquisition from them i expected them to be a little bit more active though yeah i expect them probably to shed a few more experienced players maybe bring in a few sort of um, flyers guys with upside that maybe we hadn't seen but it just didn't happen so very clearly and they've been pretty open about this they, they're gonna hit the draft they're gonna hit it hard they got plenty of draft picks I, yeah you know my feeling i still think i would have preferred having picked two but they're going with 8 12 20 26 they got two a first and two seconds next year as well hopefully plenty of rookie options for us moving on to the western bulldogs liam jones and rory lobb arrive zane cordy josh dunkley Lockie hunter and josh shackey leave yeah well, I don't think there's much super coach relevant here, although the Josh Dunkley voider significance is going to be interesting. Will it be someone we're not expecting to step up, or will it be the return of Jack McRae, who I keep pointing out had a very good year, even though we we're all disappointed with it? Is it does, does he get back to his best? Does Libba continue improving? It's going to be interesting. Let me put a name on the radar. It's already been put on the radar by our friend Tim Mitchell at the Herald Sun, but Toby McLean. Oh, baby. He's he's, he's going to be under 200K if projections are correct. And he's going to be forward eligible and will probably play between midfield and forward. And his game in that elimination final against the Dockers was actually really quite impressive. And I thought... It's going to be, it was going to be one of those games where the Dockers are torn apart by a guy that no one really knows about because they seem to do that a lot. And, um, but no, he, I mean, he's, he's going to come back. He's, he's come back from his second ACL and he was laying tackles, getting possessions. He was the top possession getter at halftime in that elimination final. He, he was racking it up. He, and he, at, and if he enters the season at under 100, at under 200k and he's got forward eligibility and he's going to pick up where Josh Dunkley left off. He is someone who I think you need to select in your forward line. Yeah. Pending health. He's essentially locked in my forward line demo. We were big fans of long time listeners uh, will know this. We were big fans of him sort of in that 2017, 2018 period. He ended 2017 like a house on fire. Averaged 94.7 across 2018 and started the season with like a bunch of tons. So he's someone firmly on the radar. And we're hoping for a Will Brody type, Stephen Ganigliog type resurrection here because I really like Toby McLean quite a lot as a as a player. Um, and he's had a real, really, really bad time of it over the last few years. So if we're clear of that, he's going to be value, value, value. And says quite a bit about how Luke Beveridge thinks of him when he pretty much comes into the side as soon as he's match fit. No, yeah, it's it's a great uh, show of confidence, vote of confidence in him. Damo, does Rory Lobb ruin Tim English? Yes. Yeah, another Ruckman to to wipe off your list. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be tough. 
it's to be honest, you might have to look at like Wits and Meek or something. Oh baby, I do like a bit of spice, a bit of variety. And and, and, and what would we call that? Uh, that that duo, Mitts, Mitts, uh, Week, <laughs> Week Mitts. All right, well, we've gone over all 18 teams, their ins and outs and their draft picks and their Supercoach relevancies and all of those sorts of things. Lek Dog, any final comments? No, still a long way to go in fixing player movement in the AFL. Slowly, very, very, very slowly, 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 maybe looking at starting to walk in the right direction. But it was a pleasure to cover all of the off-season with you, Damo. You're a bloody legend. You're a bloody gun. And despite a three-hour time difference, you still rock up every week and uh, and make it work. So thank you. And thank you as well. And we will speak to you next time. See you later, community. Go Blues. <laughs>